0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I suggest that you try to come to an agreement with Mr. Jacobson, so then a filing would not be necessary. Understood?
1: Ribbon and rip
0: it. Yes, ribbon and rip it indeed.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Decoding TV. I'm Dan Gavazdin. thrilled to be filling in again for David Chen.
2: And I'm Sinhant Adlaka.
1: And today we're going to be talking about She-Hulk Attorney at Law Season 1, Episode 8, entitled Ribbit and Rip It, which I think they thought was more clever than, than it actually is. But uh, alas, <laughs> uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.com You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com and find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash decodingtv. And you can email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. But before we get into She-Hulk Attorney at Law Episode 8, we're going to be looking at another run of She-Hulk comics, I guess the third and probably the third most famous run of She-Hulk comics. I don't really know where that sits in the... Kind of lexicon here, but uh, we're looking at the She Hulk comics from writer Charles Soule and artist Javier Polito. That's She Hulk volume three, and we're going to be looking at issues one through six, but really one through four, I think, are the most important ones uh, from all the way back in 2014. Um, a link to where to purchase this book will be included in this episode's show notes. Um, and uh, Siddhant Adlaka, I wanted to. Uh, Talk to you about this first because um, this run is one of my favorites uh, of the She-Hulk. Uh, it's kind of my like platonic ideal of what a She-Hulk comic would be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's only twelve issues long in its entirety, um, but it's one of those things that like I just wish it had gone on longer. Like it just mm-hmm. had such a good thing going for it. And I'll talk more about the kind of behind the scenes and interesting things that I like about the run. But I'm curious, this was your first time reading these comics. Yeah. Did anything stand out to you? Did you enjoy these books?
2: Uh, in short, I did. Um, and so we, we discussed last week how the Dan Slot run felt like the, you know, the the sort of structural inspiration for um, what the She-Hulk show is, right? This one, what really struck me, and it struck me immediately, Uh, It feels like this is the closest in terms of voice. This is the closest comic to the show in terms of just, you know, the way She-Hulk comes across, the way it has this sort of breezy, zippy tone. It just goes from scene to scene. You know, this sort of, um, I don't want to say street level lawyer stuff, street level in a Marvel sense, lawyer stuff. Um, And you can immediately tell that, yeah, this was written by a lawyer. Um, because it's not, you know, spiced up, uh, in the way we're used to seeing, you know, lawyer type stuff in comics and on TV shows, uh, the phrase billable hours comes up a lot. Um, the specific forms that people have to fill out. So it feels realistic in that sense. And it gives you, uh, the sensation that you are, you know, living in, a world where superheroes are so common as to be mundane, as to, you know, have to deal with the law like the rest of us, and uh, yeah, it's it's not just the She-Hulk comic, but like the comic that I think feels the most, um, the closest to what real lawyers seem to like go through on a daily basis. Minus the, you know, hulking out and turning green bit, which is understandable. I mean, you know what?
1: Out there somewhere, there yeah. there is a lawyer doing this. But uh, yeah, <laughs>
2: um,
1: I, I wanted to tell our audience, if you if you aren't aware uh, and Sedan Adlaka here, uh, you know, hinted at it, is that Charles Soule, the writer of this, was a lawyer at the time that this comic was being published. He worked as a lawyer in New York City and even opened his own law firm. And, uh, you know, was kind of making comics at night. You know, She-Hulk's lawyer by day, superhero by night. Charles Soule was doing something very similar. uh, You know, lawyer by day, She-Hulk writer by night.
2: uh,
1: (laughs) Will, but um, uh, what's what's interesting about this run is it kind of like mirrors his own career trajectory in a way. In that in this, this run is about She-Hulk opening her own law firm. Uh, or law practice and he did the exact same in New York city. And so what I like about this run is that is the authenticity of it. It really like feels grounded, real, you know, but through a lens of the Marvel universe. Um, And, and as such, you know, you said it's really interested in, in in the law and lawyerly stuff. Um, uh, It's not as interested as the in the dance, as the dance lot is in the kind of like, big idea uh mm-hmm. like how superheroics changes the law so to yeah. speak stuff it's kind of less interested in the kind of like um it's not metatextual like dan Slott's run didn't have what john burns run did where the character turns to the camera and talks to the camera but it did mm-hmm. have the comic books that you talked about last time and the whole thing was kind of a metatextual wink on you know, what is the law like in the Marvel universe and bringing in guest stars and things like that. And this one is not interested in that at all. It's just She-Hulk operating as a lawyer in the Marvel universe. And as such, it's kind of a slice of life book. Yeah. In a weird way. That sounds really weird to say, but even the art style of Javier Polito really is grounded and down to earth and kind of like interested in the boring minutiae
2: of like being She-Hulk. Uh, mm-hmm. Did that did that come across to you when you were reading it? I think what what st- stood out to me about the art was that it immediately pops. It has this very like 50s, 60s pop art look to it, even, even in like the facial design uh, of She-Hulk. But then what that does is, you know, even though it is immediately eye-catching and you have these bright colors, it immediately situates you in a, v- a familiar like sort of old world art style, which, um, you know, regardless of its origins, you, it's, I would say it's become kind of like corporatized homogenized run of the mill. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't speak to what the artist was trying to do, whether or not that was the intent, but that's one of the effects of it in that it is eye catching, but in a way that's very familiar. It's not, you know, trying to scream at you. It's saying, Hey, you know, look at me, I'm trying to sell you something. (laughs) Um, and uh like you said compared to the the dance slot run the the slot run seems to be more about you know how we as a society and our laws and our philosophies would uh adapt to a superhero universe whereas this is the opposite it's how would a superhero universe function within existing laws that we already have and you know filing existing kinds of motions and all that and um One subplot that I really, really enjoyed, or it was the main plot of of a couple of issues, um, was about Dr. Doom's son uh, seeking asylum in the US. And what's really tongue-in-cheek about that is, yeah, even though you have the specifics of a Latvian dictator's son, you know, Latvia is obviously not a real place, even though you have those specifics, this is the kind of Tongue-in-cheek, almost satirical story that you could have told in any medium with any set of characters. Because what She-Hulk does is um, that she argues. Because so, so in U.S. immigration law, um, if you are a specific social class uh, that can be said to be persecuted in a different country or oppressed, um, you can file for asylum in the U.S. And there's, you know, a lot more specifics to it. So she tries to argue that. Being a member of the Doom family, of the Latverian royal family, makes you an oppressed class because you're forced to rule when you don't want to. And, like, that's the kind of thing that, like, shit, could you do that in the real world? Could you make that argument? (laughs)
1: I've heard people make that argument, and even David make that argument about the royal family uh you know in the u k you know that that it's wow a, in in a ways a human rights violation um <laughs> to be a part of this family and uh, I think every day that goes by that statement becomes more true. Um, yeah. but uh yeah I mean and you know it, it obviously all devolves into silly superhero antics but like with her punching doom bots and and mm-hmm. things like that and um it, it, it's something that extends throughout the entire run this kind of one case um which which also marks it as different than uh the Dan slot run which was kind yeah. of interested in these smaller single issue one or two issue stories. Whereas here, this is kind of like what we call deconstructed storytelling mm-hmm. in comics, where you get the six issue arcs or even longer than that. Um, uh, but I, you know, it allows it to spend more time on the kind of nuanced reality of, of these characters. Um, I, I wanted to talk more about Polito's art. I like how you, you mm-hmm. put it. Um, for me, it's, it's like uh, iconographic. Mm -hmm. um instead of going for realism and uh i tend to like comics that operate in this space you know people that look back on like jack kirby's pencils and say like oh they're kind of ugly and it's like well yeah that's kind of the point like they're they're very iconic right That you Mm -hmm. know people mole man looks like a mole the vulture is a guy with a big nose and he looks like the vulture you know i know that's steve dicko not jack kirby but Mm -hmm. you get my point um And I think this is true here. Like the Hulk, the she Hulk looks like a Hulk at times. Like her face Mm -hmm. can be very round and puffy and there's a great uh, sequence where she gets really angry and her face takes up a full two page spread and it's just her big eyes. Um, It's the kind of thing. I don't think like the Hulk element wasn't emphasized as much in mm-hmm. like the burn and the slot run and mm-hmm. here you get like kind of the some more sloppy elements of what it would mean to be a hulk and slip in and out of these behaviors um and i i enjoyed that about her there's a sort of kind of like um well actually in line with this week's episode like we kind of see what jen is like when she lets go a little bit and mm-hmm. and kind of loses control of that hulk persona so um I, I like that element of this. It's kind of fleshing her out as a as a full character. Yeah. Um, anything else that you thought about this run, giving it a read for the first time?
2: Um, the artist that takes over in um, the fifth issue, because uh, we we've read like the first volume yeah. of volume three. I know it can get confusing, which is issues one through six. Uh, the artist that takes over in issue five has a drastically different style, which you know threw me for a second because you know where you had. Uh, in the first four issues, you had all these like straight lines and symmetrical. You had a very symmetrical approach. It becomes much more, for lack of a more polished term, wibbly wobbly. Um, <laughs> which is again, it's 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 a kind of it's a kind of art style that I really like as well. With these, you know, sort of light pinks and purples and these like sort of washed out pastels, um, that I think works for what they're going for. Certainly, with you know, it's it's becoming a little more intriguing, a little murkier as to like. You know who's behind the the mystery that comes up in those two issues. We won't like spoil it necessarily. Um, yeah. So even though it even though the change threw me because it's a very drastic change and it
1: it's it, very it, drastic. Yeah,
2: borders on like um like abstract at times. Uh, but no, I I really like that as well. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I I really enjoyed this run and I'm I'm glad I read it.
1: Yeah. Um, and and just in regards to the show, like. I could very uh much see the show taking more even more inspiration from this and having She-Hulk open her own, you know, law practice in like season two or three of the She-Hulk show. Like I could see this being the real like next big uh kickoff point. There's mm-hmm. like a new setting where she gets her own this building that she opens up in and it's occupied by other super powered people. So if the show wanted to move even further away from the, you know, the, you know, the law offices she's currently practicing in, it could move into this more rundown, you know, kind of uh, scenario. I could see it going that way. Mm-hmm. And also in regards to the show, mm-hmm. um, Charles soul, the writer of this would eventually go on to write, uh, a pretty well-regarded 28 issue run of Daredevil on the back of this um, that really focused on his law practice and uh, you know was a really interesting run. Um, Daredevil always has interesting runs. He's just a great character yeah. to write in comics, um, and uh, now he's writing the Star Wars comics for uh, for Marvel. But uh, I-, I think it's really interesting that this guy can bring so much of his experience in the law into these yeah. comics um, in, a, in, a I think, a really interesting way.
2: Yeah, something I wish we'd see more of in comics because, you know, these are, you know, vigilantes at the end of the day. So their relationship to the law is, you know, quite important. Um, And I know like this, like immigration law specifically is not, you know, always relevant to superheroes, but it's the first comic I've ever seen that actually touches on it in any kind of realistic way. <laughs>
1: Well, Charles Soul also worked in immigration law. So, you mm-hmm. know, that, I got that that's sense. kind of how it, how it all fits in there. Yeah. And, I then, got that and sense. then another shout out for Patsy Walker, who we saw was... in the Daredevil series um, back on Netflix. Um, she's the character Hellcat, and she plays a huge supporting role in the series. And she's like my favorite part of the series because mm-hmm. you've got, you know, She Hulk, who's super powered, and Patsy Walker who just wears a cat costume and has no superpowers, but they go on these drunken uh, (laughs) superhero adventures. And they're always my favorite. Like, I think they go on several throughout the run and they're always the highlights of the run for me.
2: Yeah. And uh, I was going to say it it feels relevant to discuss her, not only because she's, you know, um, part of the comics and a very fun part of the comic, uh, but, you know, being, um, I guess, a mainstay of, you know marvel's netflix universe on the jessica jones show i couldn't help but think like because i read the comic and then watched this new episode i couldn't help but think how would how would patsy walker who they don't even really call patsy walker on the netflix shows how would she fit in in the current mcu would she be as smooth of a fit as you know daredevil has been um i mean you know the version that we saw on the netflix shows Who's all like you know roided up and you know crazy and all that? Um, <laughs> probably probably not as smooth of a transition, but uh, I guess it remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I'm 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 hopeful that they continue to do what they did in this episode, which we'll we'll talk about um, because I, I do think you can translate them and have a bit of a looser translation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to jump ahead a little bit here, like. Daredevil in this episode, I think is written very differently than the Netflix daredevil was written. And mm-hmm. I don't think it, it is a problem at all. Like I think yeah. it completely works uh, a show like she Hulk being the comedy that it is, I think can take this kind of the Netflix tonally bleak show that it all those show that those shows were and mm-hmm. sand the edges off a little bit, you know, um, and and I don't think anybody would really mind it. I mean, if I had one critique of the, the Netflix shows and as much as I like the daredevil show, it's very tonally one note and yeah. uh, it could have used a little bit of humor. And I would love to see that Patsy Walker come in and go on drunken superhero adventures with She-Hulk.
2: Um, no, by all means, give her the costume.
1: <laughs> yeah, that costume is hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, Patsy Walker, who uh, uh, the character itself herself, herself outdates the Marvel uh Marvel Comics universe. Um, oh she was a like character in a like kind of like teen girl romance series that Marvel was releasing, uh, uh Patsy Walker and like Millie the model. And uh they eventually like brought her back in uh and made her into a superhero. But she's kind of predates all of this.
2: Oh, so um, she wasn't um
1: a superhero originally no, she was just like wow. a star of like a, like a Marvel's, like a, like pre Marvel, like a uh, Archie kind of series. Like that's great. it's like if Betty or Veronica suddenly like, put on a cat <laughs> costume and I mean, look, Archie has gone to weird places recently. So, you know, wh- heard, why not? Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, uh, that's a discussion of She-Hulk volume three, uh, by Charles Soule and Javier Polito. Well, mostly, um, I would say go check it out if you're if you're interested. It's one of my favorite runs of She-Hulk, as short as it is. Um, you know, I guess better short and sweet than, uh, than never had
0: at all. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort.
1: All right, folks, you're listening to or watching our review of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 8, Ribbit and Rip It. I'm Dan Gavazdin, filling in for David Chen, and he's Sedant Adlaka. Sedant Episode 8, uh, finally delivers on the much-anticipated Daredevil team-up that I think there's a large number of fans who are checking into She-Hulk just to see this guy show up. Uh, and we got the tease of the helmet and here we got the full thing. What'd you think of this whole daredevil and she Hulk team up episode, uh, uh, that we got here, which weirdly is named after leapfrog. Uh, I would (laughs) have thought maybe you'd put daredevil in the title of the episode, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. What'd you think overall about this one?
2: First of all, what an interestingly structured show. She she keeps saying it's her show, but, um, you know, first it's Bruce Banner that draws people in. And then it's Wong. And then it's like 16 Daredevil teases. And then he finally shows up. <laughs> um, so hopefully, you know, they'll be able to sell the episode on the back of She-Hulk herself next week. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed this episode much more than I thought I would. Um, I haven't always been the biggest fan of the Netflix Daredevil. Um, But I was glad to see that even though, you know, theoretically, this is that same Daredevil from that same continuity, um, it's a tonal approach that I love so much more. Uh, It feels a lot more in line with uh, a lot of the Daredevil comics that I like. And what, what I think suits this version is that, yeah, he's, you know, he's quippy and he has a lot of banter, but not in like this sort of overwrought forced way that I think a lot of Marvel stuff tends to suffer from like uh uh-huh you get that (laughs) he's just like he's just a straight like he's funny but he's also just like very natural and I think that's a testament to how good Charlie Cox is in this version of the role and I really want to see more of him like I I wasn't all that interested in Born Again um, until this week She-Hulk Born Again as in the Daredevil show that's coming up yeah
1: yeah um well i'm 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 so excited for born again, even though we literally have no idea what the creative forces behind it are <laughs> um, unless that's been announced and I missed it somehow um it's born again is probably my favorite Marvel comics story they've mm-hmm. ever published, and it's so dark, so you know i I kind of expected it to be more in line with the first three seasons of Daredevil, but um I like you. I really liked this balance here. Like it definitely yeah. allows him to go dark. Like there's a sequence, uh, you know, a hallway fight sequence which I'm sure <laughs> was done intentionally, um, where it suddenly becomes Batman again, you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh like I like that you can have the kind of bounce back and forth between uh him cracking jokes and beating up thugs in a menacing style. Uh I thought it was a lot of fun. And you're right. Charlie Cox is, I think he's one of the best cast, uh, characters in the MCU. Um, which I like, I'm sure like there was a, like uh, must you know, I, I feel like the Netflix shows were pretty well cast overall, but like, I think he really stands out and my wife would definitely agree. She just watched the episode and I'm pretty sure I got to watch out for Charlie Cox in real life. Cause he's got, this, <laughs> he's got a certified hall pass and you you know what uh i i, I don't blame her cuz i might get a hall pass for charlie cox i mean dude it's
2: charming you got to be careful he's, if he's got a if he's got a hall pass he might start a fight in the hallway so just be careful
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah that's like uh, yeah there's a uh, some kind of bdsm association there <laughs> um you know what probably best we don't talk about that um, no i think
2: we should get into it
1: Oh, well, I mean, you know, I don't know how, how public I'm able to willing, willing to go on these shows, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, anyway, so, um, yeah, i like this episode too. Um, I still think that this show kind of struggles with its, um, like episode structure and how it wants to balance ongoing arcs with, you know, self-contained stories. Mm-hmm. But, um, for the first like two thirds of this episode, I was just like kind of enjoying myself. I think the stuff again, like I said, in the last episode that, uh, entertains me more is the flirtatious single gen stuff. Yeah. And I was at first very happy with the lawyerly stuff here, but I acknowledge looking back on it that, um, the lawyering was really being driven by Matt Murdoch rather than, mm-hmm. uh, than Jen. And, it just continues to communicate to me that I think the writers of the show aren't interested in the lawyer element of, of the show and are really just mm-hmm. using it as a way to get her on other adventures and dating or beating up crooks. Um, Cause like even here, Jen loses on a technicality, not like on anything related to the law, other than the fact that this guy lied about what jet fuel he put into his boots. Yeah. Um. And so it's like, they really don't seem interested in that. And so therefore I'm not really interested in that, but in that the episode moves on from it very quickly, it allowed me to kind of like go, okay, I'm kind of into this episode.
2: Yeah, the um, the law in general, I think apart from maybe, you know, the the Donny Blaze episode, it, it feels just as an ex- – like the law is an excuse to manufacture – Other conflicts, and I don't use manufacture necessarily in a negative way. Let's just assume it's value neutral for now. It's 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 a way to bring you elsewhere in the story. It's a way to get you from one situation to the next. Um, If there's you know if the courtroom itself serves a purpose, it's usually you know either to set up something else or to have a few fun jokes. Uh, So in that sense, it's unlike a lot of the comics we've been reading. But you know, like you said, the the Flirtatious element, the dating element, is you know fairly interesting and fairly fun. And I think this week especially, um, this is the first. Well, it's the first time Jen is like, you know, met or hooked up with a guy who turns out not to be you know a, a total asshole. I mean, apart from like the guys he beats up. Um, but <laughs> it, yeah, like you you really feel the chemistry there. Like yeah. it, it, and I think uh, a lot of that is owed to how charlie cox handles the humor it's not like the her me dumb guy which is slowly becoming like the lingua franca of uh, the marvel cinematic universe thor and um star lord and all of you know beyond a point of the, like the same characters now but this he just seems like he's having fun um with his you know back and forth and he i never thought i would say this like this is maybe the first and like only time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that humor has been kind of sexy. Yes. Um, which is not something I thought I would get from the MCU.
1: <laughs> I mean, just the scene where Daredevil is like expressing to her that he can hear her heartbeat yeah. is more sexy than anything in the sex scene in in Eternals. You know, oh, like, I, I, yeah. and the last time I can remember there being kind of humor and sex is, like, maybe Iron Man 1, like, like yeah. where, where, where that was a, like, kind of leading component. And, like, e- and even when Daredevil has a really bad line, there's still something really charming about it. Like, the, mm-hmm. my ass remains unwhooped is like, a, <laughs> is, like, a real sinker of a joke um and kind of lame. But Charlie Cox delivers it in kind of, like, I know I'm lame saying this crooked smile that you can't help but be, like, that guy is damn charming you know Yeah. Um, yeah uh the the and at the bar scene where they're drinking apple teenies i think is a really uh you know like fun flirty scene and and mm-hmm. i want more of that
2: and i think something that also really works that i wasn't sure would was um the change in costume and i know it's you know sort of based on one of the early comic designs and as jen points out it's it's a weird combo ketchup and mustard but <laughs> you know even though it still has the um it still has those like uh, those closed red eyes the same way the netflix suit did on like season 2 um just the fact that you have a kind of contrast between the red eyes and the yellow mask makes him seem immediately more human than when both of them were red it just seemed like you know this this like one piece and i'm sure this is still one piece painted differently um and weirdly somehow he comes off as more human here than he did when he got his first suit where you could actually see his eyes kind of somewhat um but yeah again i think a lot of that is just down to just you know his his charm and his body language too like the way he walks the way he leans he never seems to stand upright not just you know when he is matt murdoch but even when he's dead when he's like when he jumps off the the rooftop He doesn't walk straight. He kind of like takes this turn and like, it's almost, it's almost like a, like a, like halfway between like a jog and a saunter. I don't really know how to put it into words. Just something like very interesting about the way he moves.
1: I have to admit, I laughed out loud when he jumped off the roof, and there was yeah. a woo- there was a whoosh sound effect <laughs> that they added in. It was just like very cartoonish, and yeah. uh, like I I, I I appreciated that for some reason or another. Um, no, uh, at one
2: point, at one point, I'm pretty sure they recycled uh, the sound of a pod racer from Star Wars Episode One. When something crashes, I think it's a car or something like that. At one point there was a very distinctly Oh, that's a pod racer sound.
1: Oh, interesting. I'll have to go Get back, back. <laughs> and, and check that out. Um I mean the episode is very silly. And yeah. I, I think for the most part it like it it there are some real funny bits in it. And there are some things that don't hit as much, but like I feel like the character's charm and the actors really like uh, kind of carry it through like it feels like for the first time jen has like kind of uh like an, an equal match in a partner to kind of like throw banter around with that can match her level which then sells mm-hmm. the flirtation like wong was great but his whole thing is just kind of being grumpy and the straight <laughs> man you know yeah. whereas daredevil's kind of you know throwing the quips back and forth and um i think it made the whole thing like a real breeze and and fun to watch um
2: what did you think about Leapfrog? Do you have any history with this character? I, I'm pretty sure I've seen him show up in like one odd comic here that I couldn't tell you which one for the life of me. Um, but I enjoyed this take on it because as far as I'm aware, um, correct me if I'm wrong, this whole like you know spoiled rich kid thing is new. It's for the show, right?
1: No, actually, um, okay. I, I don't know about the spoiled element more than that his father... Uh, was actually the original Leapfrog, And okay. so he's kind of a kid who got a hand me down costume in the comics and is always trying to like live up to his father. And it puts him in a number of, um, like deadly uh, incidents um, that Mm -hmm. usually require other superheroes to kind of bail them out of. So this is not entirely similar to that, but it's a, it's a pretty good extension of it. If you want a really good leapfrog comic, I'd recommend there's an issue of Spider-Man's tangled web. Number 12 actually written by Zeb Wells, the guy who wrote the previous episode of um, She-Hulk that really goes into this relationship. uh, And I think is a really great, leapfrog comic um but yeah i mean here they make him that he's spoiled um and it's similar enough in the comic in that like he's in the position to be a superhero but hasn't earned it he just has like his father's shoot suit with springs in the heels um which they've turned into jet powered boots here um although the the leap the spring leap pads make an appearance in his like uh layer if you will um including the original drawings of leapfrog are on the side of the arcade cabinets that he's oh, got in his den um, i didn't catch that yeah there's a lot of fun little easter eggs in uh the leapfrog den uh that kind of cut back to the leapfrog from the comics um uh you know the ribbit and rip it thing i think is meant to be lame and it came yeah. across as pretty lame um i thought he was a fine kind of like character but really the the daredevil thing is the start of the show and this is kind of like the B plot to kind of keep everything going um which I'm f- totally fine with it was mm-hmm. it was fine on on that level uh for me
2: Yeah and um I think you know one place where I felt kind of let down was you know some of the action it's it's typical like marvel stuff where it like cuts around the impact and like you can't really tell what's going on like when some of the hand to hand stuff begins you know, I, I thought like when you first see, um, when you first enter this dark hallway and you see a door open and you see Daredevil throw someone out of the door, it immediately reminded me of um the uh, the one take hallway fight scene in, um, season one of the Netflix Daredevil, which you know I have my issues with because so much of it takes place off screen. Yeah, but uh, for a second I was like, oh, are they gonna like? They had just previously like played like the opening theme of the daredevil show and now they're putting us directly in a very netflix daredevil-esque scenario so i'm like oh are they gonna you know do like a one-take fight like they've done on like every daredevil season uh but then it was just like the sort of like you know typical marvel incomprehensible action and i was kind of um relieved when jen kind of like stopped the action scene dead
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't uh, disagree with you. I mean, it's a harsh comparison because people hold those hallway scenes up like so high. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't I don't know how much you watched of Daredevil, but like season two then expands on it by having like a multi floor fight scene. And then season three has got the jailbreak one shot. Mm episode which is really ambitious and it's a whole episode wow it's a whole episode in one shot yeah
2: nice. and i'm assuming it's digitally stitched together like they didn't actually shoot it in one take
1: i don't know actually but however they did it it's pretty seamless like Mm -hmm. i i don't remember there being visible stitches um but uh I mean, it's an impressive episode. It's like this very claustrophobic prison sequence that slowly opens up into the grander hallways of the prison Mm -hmm. to escaping the prison. So it goes from claustrophobic to like daredevil being and being set free. Um, It's a cool episode. Uh, uh, I, I I think season three takes a long time to get started, but once it does, it really kind of like is cooking with gas. Um, (laughs) So, uh, uh, if you will. But um, yeah, it's a hard thing to compare because, like, you got a show that was defined by doing those. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sure they have some
2: B team doing the action here. Um, I will say, though, there was one very small action beat that I straight up loved. I think um, it's still during the chase where, you know, Daredevil's uh, chasing down Leapfrog in his car. And I think um, Jen tries to punch him and he. Falls onto his back, yeah, like to avoid it, and keeps up and keeps running. And honestly, as as a wrestling fan, I was like, "Shit, I'd love to see that in the ring." Well, um, it's
1: definitely a different approach to the character. He's much more of an acrobat here yeah. than he was on the show, where he's more of like a street brawler. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, I
1: like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has to do with expanded budget and and CGI too, because you can get him leaping off the building and flipping around and um, boy, am I excited to watch him, you know, shoot his cane and and swing through the streets if we can ever get to that day. But you're right. That kind of like dip backwards was really, uh, was really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, not to make this the daredevil episode, but like so many of the jokes with daredevil are hilarious. Like him bragging that he knows the guy is lying and the lawyer (laughs) being like, Yes, we all know he's lying. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, the, the, just making yeah. fun of Daredevil's talents, I think, is uh, is uh, really funny. Um, yeah, and so,
2: I've I've probably said this: the Daredevil is, I think, one of, if not my absolute favorite Marvel characters. And so, just from that standpoint, I'm like, yeah, I think this episode does him a fair amount of justice. Um, and you know, I'm excited to see where they go next. But like you said, not to not to make this the daredevil episode even though it's kind of the daredevil episode <laughs> let's um, be real you're yeah. all
1: coming here for the daredevil stuff yeah uh, do I'm, you yeah. do you have a favorite daredevil run that you uh return to um yes. i know you it sounds like you have you like the kind of more uh like humorous swashbuckling Version well, of the character.
2: I do, but my gateway into Daredevil, which I still hold very near and dear, it was actually the base, sort of the aesthetic basis for the Netflix show, which I don't like, which was uh, the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malev run, uh, which is it, it's very like it's Coppola esque in that it's it's sort of like this almost like a like a family saga, but also there are bits of it that are inspired by like Apocalypse Now. Like just just the light just, I don't know if you would call it lighting, but you know what I'm saying. Um yeah, so it is a very like dark and gloomy kind of comic, but it still it has a propulsiveness to it that I don't think um the Netflix show is fully maintained while translating it. I don't think anybody
1: uh has ever called any Netflix Marvel show propulsive uh <laughs> in, in their pacing. But um mm-hmm. uh I I mean say what you will about She-Hulk, it's pacing moves uh yes there's very little time to get bored with with she-hulk it'll be over before you know it um
2: that would be that would be a shame if within the 25 to 30 minutes each week they lost us
1: (laughs) yeah um i hope that the born again is is not paced similarly (sighs) to the netflix show um i'll I'll even be curious to see how much of that supporting cast comes back um Mm -hmm. are you a fan of the mark wade run
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes, I think, immediately after the Bendis run, right? Um, No, there was the, the Brewbaker run, which kind of oh. ma-
1: maintained the tone of the Bendis right. run. Right, right. And it was sort of a bridge yeah.
2: between the two. I, I have all of that somewhere. So I, yeah, those, I think, were the three back-to-back ones that I read. Um, Bendis, Brubaker, and Wade. Um and if i'm not mistaken the wade one is the much lighter one where he has the i'm not daredevil yes, like christmas yes. or halloween costume yeah i i did that one year for comic con <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a
1: it's a go to uh 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 outfit for yeah. for daredevil fans um and, so and i I'd, back- I'd like
2: to i'd like to just say really quick uh, i apologize that i don't remember all the artist names unfortunately i read these at a time where i was like oh i got to follow this writer and that writer so, uh, um, well, I, 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 I I'll fill in for you. Yeah. Uh,
1: Mark Wade is mostly like uh, uh, Chris Samney, um, yes. and uh, Javier Rodriguez did a, bu- a bunch of the issues on that. Um, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of artists on it, but Chris Samney is kind of the defining guy, and mm-hmm. Bendis is uh, you know, Alex Maliv. Um, you know, so th- there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, uh, you know, you've got the Frank Miller run, which is great. Mm-hmm. so but really dark and, and it'll be curious to see like where they go because this daredevil daredevil is a little bit of a, of of all of that but bringing it back to she hulk there's another <laughs> really great uh I'm good I'm, if if that's my role as moderator on here Wait, which what, is to bring it back podcast, to she hulk what's yeah, the podcast right. about <laughs>
2: decoding daredevil
1: <laughs> yeah right if if we can bring it back to she hulk like there yeah. is this interesting kind of moral question which uh, Matt Murdock poses to She-Hulk, which is to say, like, you mm-hmm. know, She-Hulk can operate, you know, he's basically selling her on the Daredevil model, which is, like, use the law by day, but use your, you know, uh, vigilante justice by night. Um, I, I don't know how that works out with a public figure like She-Hulk, um, although she does go to some extreme lengths here, that which he makes fun of later. Like, I, during the first fight sequence, she picks up some random car and just chucks it, and yeah. then like later says, like, I'll leave a note. And it's like, how much property damage is she is she doing uh here? Which yeah. he then makes fun of at the end of the episode. But um I, I was glad to see like that like Matt Murdoch's role seems to be like selling other superpowered lawyers <laughs> on on his brand of vigilante justice. Um uh like <laughs> Um, yeah,
2: the the exact line was Jen Walters can use the law to help people when society fails them, and She Hulk can help people when the law fails them. Which you're right is the Daredevil model, and um, I'm trying to think who who are the other like prominent lawyer characters in the Marvel universe? Are any of them superheroes?
1: Um, no, not not really. I mean, it's it's really Daredevil and She Hulk predominantly, unless something mm-hmm. is really. Slipping my mind, but that seems to be the pair that, like, you know, if they're doing lawyerly crossovers, it's typically like those two. There's mm-hmm. other people within Daredevil's world that have like toyed with it, but not nothing as mainstay as as these two. um You know, it's not like everybody's a, uh, a, a, a reporter is the number one go to job, <laughs> or at least like photographer
2: um, or billionaire, you know, uh,
1: <laughs> and, and Daredevil and uh, and and She-Hulk do get a lot more focus on their work in the comic. You don't get a lot of like full issues of Spider-Man that are just like Peter talking about composition of his photographs. (laughs) Um, So so there is, there is that. Um, uh, Yeah. Uh, Anyway. uh, So let's transition here away from the kind of a plot to this uh, like deep (laughs) C plot that, um, Jen even makes fun of to the camera saying like, shouldn't this episode be over by now? Like what's going on here? Oh my God. It's the penultimate episode of the season, which means we got to have some kind of late last minute twist to pull you into the finale. And that's kind of what we get here. The, Mm -hmm. you know, I think anybody could have guessed where this was going, which is the Hulk King slash uh, what is the group called? help me out here in
2: in intelligentsia
1: yeah the intelligentsia kind of like reappear at the end of this episode and i got to admit like there's some cool stuff here like i like seeing jen get angry and i love the kind of metatextual like acknowledgement of the hate like the online haters of the show continuing to advance and advance Mm -hmm. uh to a place i never imagined which is like slut-shaming, and revenge yeah. porn. Yeah. Uh, like, seeing Marvel go in like into that <laughs> territory is something I never imagined I would ever see. Um,
2: and I but- think it's interesting that this episode specifically opens with a pre-previously on. Like, a previously on before the previously on, which is specifically... She Hulk twerking and like, I think sleeping with someone. So yes. it already puts you in that space of like, hey, remember this, which, you know, some people seem to have a problem with. Um, so I think it's an interesting direction to take the show to be like, well, you know, I, I, again, I still don't know what the deal is with the Hulk King and all these people. But um, yeah, they seem really, really nasty and really, really online in an unfortunately realistic way.
1: Well, that actually brings up an interesting question, which is was the pre previously on like added on last minute, maybe based on the reaction of the internet, because Hmm. like it does seem really tacked on in a really unusual way. Um, And like, I could see them being like, maybe we can lean into this a little bit more and make this kind of like from the perspective of the haters and really like, zeroing in on all the stuff that seems to have sparked I tend to think an exaggerated uh an exaggeratedly reported on response from yeah. people online um but uh, and anyway either way it factors into the end of this episode and um I think the idea of this works better than like the actual way that it's incorporated into the yeah. show um, cause I kind of am like not interested in all of this ongoing plot stuff. Like mm-hmm. even the, the date she goes on with the, the, the guy that was really interested in She-Hulk feels like this kind of like vestigial tale, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, like random inclusion in this episode. Like she, she literally tells Matt Murdock at one point, like, I got to call this date quits cause I got to go deal with this subplot. You know, um, (laughs) so none of this feels like it really that natural to the show.
2: Yeah. Even if the theme, thematically it it does. Um, I'm not even sure to what degree it does thematically, because, you know, like you said, it's, it's interesting that, oh, Marvel is going there into like slut shaming and revenge porn. But then I wonder how much does that really connect to the show we've been watching? Like, yeah, we've seen her, you know, try and date, but the show's um approach to sex and sexuality seems sort of hermetically sealed from the rest of it like yeah like her her dating life kind of comes up in one court case but at no point during that court case i you know correct me if i'm wrong uh, are there like aspersions cast on her because of her sexuality like there's no one saying like oh you know we we can't believe this woman because oh she's you know look at what kind of person she is sleeping around and this and that which would i don't know i guess be more in line with you know the real perspectives that some people might have with you know she hulk or like any woman you know being promiscuous um It seems more
1: like a response, like a, like a metatextual response to like a puritanical society that's viewing the show than anything the show is putting forward.
2: Yeah. And even then, even if that was the case, this, this meta response, um, it like, it's sort of this like sanded down version of, okay. So the, the, the thing that it thinks it's responding to, doesn't seem to be what the show actually is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you know, you've had a couple of subplots here and there that are about dating and sex, but nothing to the degree that's, like, that really brings into sharp focus how She-Hulk really feels about, you know, her own body, because, like, you know, bodily transformation is such a huge part of this. And the, the extent it goes to is, I need to find new clothes. Um... And so I'll push back a little bit. Ahead, I, I, I think the
1: previous episode with the, like the, the group where she expressed, you know, okay, uh, the differences, there's a little bit of it there. Yeah, I, yeah. I do think the show likes to, like use the lip surface of real world struggles of, of feminism when it wants Mm -hmm. to get serious without doing the work. Like, especially like you could see it straight away in the first episode where Jen has that, like I can control my anger because I'm used to controlling my anger without really ever showing us that within the context of the show or having that be uh, something the show seems interested in other than to use it for that monologue. Um, It's relying on kind of like a, like real world understanding of these things affecting women rather than having it be a lived with experience that we saw with Jen. So yeah. to speak. does that make sense?
2: It does. It does. And you know, I, I know I'm probably asking a little too much of this show to say that um, it is a show in which yes, the main character does have sex, but it's not a show about sex. And yet you have this ending to the penultimate episode that kind of, looks back on it in a way that would have worked for a show that had more of a a depth of understanding about sex and shame and the way women are viewed when it comes to sexuality in the public eye. Because again, like this is, it's all up on the screen. It's, you know, it's revenge porn, it's slut shaming. And it hasn't been a show where those two ideas feel connected so far. But again, that's asking a Marvel show to like, hey, be more about sex, you know? Well, yeah, I, well, we could ask the whole Marvel universe
1: to be more about sex, and I think it would be yep. a, a, a more positive uh, uh, change. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you could see many opportunities for it. Like, let's say, for example, like we on one of those dinner scenes with Jen's family, like um, a puritanical father is like, I really don't mm. like how famous you've become. And the kind of like sexual escapades that you're, you're engaging in are making us feel ashamed about being your parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so many opportunities you could really go down that road. And instead we have to kind of like associate twerking with some kind of sexual exploit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in a show that's not even willing to show Charlie Cox, take his shirt off. Right. Like we, oh, yeah. the, the only thing we get there is, their feet as the door mm-hmm. closes and I know my wife was really disappointed about that because it was a frequent uh uh plus for her to the Netflix show <laughs> but uh yeah I mean uh it, it is not particularly engaging in anything I would consider radical um in, in terms of like how sex is covered so yeah. except for maybe this scene where it gets into yeah. Slut shaming and revenge porn. It's yeah. like uh, what the intelligentsia is doing is maybe the most salacious, like sexual statement we've gotten in the show, so to speak.
2: Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see like where, if anywhere at all, the finale goes with that, um, because you know I'm I'm look I'm I'm used to being disappointed with Marvel stuff when it comes to them introducing ideas and not fully capitalizing on them. Um, but also part of my disappointment stems from the fact that this was the first Marvel thing, maybe ever, maybe in a very long time that again, where the sexual chemistry was very palpable. So, which, you know, we discussed early on. So, um, yeah, it just puts you in a headspace of like, okay, this is, you know, a a show about real people, real adults. They have, um, sexual impulses, which is not something that Marvel wants you to know. Um, (laughs) Um, What did you think about
1: her? What did you think about her like hulking out? Because um, she finally does kind of let her rage. She can't control it. Understandably. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I don't quite understand the context of the scene where it happens, like what does revealing her have to do with anything um, in that particular scenario? Also the confusion around there being multiple winners of this female lawyer award, which I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this. Am I supposed to feel insulted? I, I, I don't really know. Are we supposed to be playing off some competitive thing here? But that all plays into what we are to take is her finally slipping and letting her rage go. And like, there's some things I like about this, like kind of the visualization of this, but I also kind of wish it seems like they didn't want to design a new version of She-Hulk Um, because she doesn't like in the comics when she rages out, like it's been depicted that she becomes more like the Hulk. Like she looks much like a like the standard Hulk. Um, Yeah, the
2: Savage She Hulk, and right, very universal monster esque.
1: Yeah, and we definitely there's elements in her face where she looks angrier, but there's no physical transformation. And yeah. I would have loved some of that body horror to be brought in, Mm -hmm. in here a little bit, if possible.
2: The voice is slightly different, but not enough to really make a huge difference. Um, But yeah, I I get what you're saying because, and again, this goes back to a problem that I've had with almost every episode. It's that, you know, the, the scenes of transformation, the scenes of her as she Hulk um, are always disappointing because, you know, we, we've, talked about this to no end it's already like in the public eye conversations about the way marvel operates when it comes to vfx houses and how they aren't given requisite time uh you know maybe with more time we would have had something like that who knows um but another thing that came to mind is as we were talking about you know the disconnect of that scene let me posit a theory um so when we first started this podcast david said he had Heard chatter about this, and I've seen rumors about this online. I don't know to what degree it's true that the first episode of the show, the one where we have um, Bruce Bruce Banner, kind of you know on this retreat with her, teaching her to control herself, and she mm-hmm. says, you know, I'm you know I'm fine, I control my anger more than you, and then she leaves. Again, I can't confirm this. Have heard that it was meant to be the second to last episode and the ending that we just saw i don't know would would that not make more sense as the ending to that episode yeah it
1: it more than her fighting titania uh in in the beginning of that episode um it's hard to say um yeah. i could also see like this being a bridge to a flashback like mm-hmm. like oh we're seeing her lose her cool like what does that mean for she hulk let's go back and see how she became this thing Um, Mm -hmm. that seems like such a big change that for me to like truly believe it uh, in the way that a lot of this stuff gets leaked. And it turns out it was just like an earlier draft or whatever, but um, I I could see what you're saying. Um, So uh, to wrap this conversation up, uh, Sidant Adlaka um, Hulk King, intelligentsia like, I don't really have a lot of intrigue built into the spotline, like <laughs> yeah. especially considering it's been a punt you know episode by episode, and now it's gonna only really make itself like impactful in the final episode um do we think that this is you know that guy she's gone on a date with, just kind of flexing his uh digital power um uh over over women um in a really like unhealthy way and it's just kind of like the like incel mafia coming coming after her or do we think that they're saving it for the end to pull like a kang reveal where they're going <laughs> to have a have a big bad like big named guy come back in at the final moment and that's why they've held off uh this long like i i said last episode like I could very well see them. Hulk King is not too far displaced from the leader, right? A ruler in name. He's also kind of a Hulk. Like, I, I could see them pulling something like that. Um, for a second, I thought... to do that.
2: For a second, I thought you were being literal, as in, like, it would be, like, a, some variant of Kang, which, honestly, at this point, would make a as much sense as them doing the leader. <laughs> like, like yeah, I know the leader is, like, yeah, related to the Hulk and all that, and, like, you know, part of the intelligentsia in the comics, but, like, wh- wh- what would be the point? I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. Um, The thing is, like, at this point, I don't think, you know, this late in the game, I don't know that there's going to be any kind of satisfying answer. Just because, you know, the intelligentsia and this Hulking and all have been such a nothing presence. Like, I'm not even sure, like, to what degree you know, Jen has been even aware of this. Like, yeah, Nikki tipped her off about it, but she doesn't seem to really care. She doesn't know that Josh, the guy she went on a few dates on and slept with, she doesn't know that he took her blood. Um, And look, the most interesting that this intelligentsia stuff has been is for the 0.8 seconds where I thought the twist was going to be Nikki has something to do with it where that's what Mm. they seem to want you to think. Like when she pops out from behind, like holding something, it's like, Oh, it's just like makeup brushes. Oh, thank God. But like (laughs) that, that was when I was like, Oh no, they've really, they've really screwed us over in a way that I find intriguing, but like, no, that doesn't happen. It's a nice fake out, but it was also the only time they were interesting.
1: Speaking of the Nikki popping out and making the Wolverine claws. Oh uh, yeah. Like I, I think I meant to do some research before we got on the show, but I just didn't have time. Um, I have to. I think they've done that joke before in the Marvel Universe, or they've made at least another Wolverine reference at some point, and I'm just forgetting it within the past few well,
2: years. I know earlier in the show there was a minor reference. Uh, that right, was like there a, was in, in yeah. the,
1: um, the newspaper. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, on a website. On, online, yeah.
2: Yeah, a news article about a guy with claws getting into like a bar fight or something like that.
1: But this is like a like, you know, why else would she do that and make that sound without some kind of like pre-knowledge of the character of Wolverine, you know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you could no prize it and write it into whatever you want it to be, (laughs) you know, but uh, but it's kind of funny that they're playing like fast and loose with Wolverine references. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Anyway, any final thoughts on on the episode, Sedant? So yeah, I think next week, uh, we're going to finally learn that the Intelligentsia is being run by Wolverine. I think that's what's going to (laughs) happen. This is where it's all been going. Um, Final thoughts. It was, you know, another fun episode where again, like the, this is what almost every She-Hulk episode has been like, oh yeah, this is fun. I like some parts of this and an ending that's like, yeah, I guess I'll tune in next week.
1: Yeah, this is probably like my second favorite episode of the show. I mm-hmm. think it would have been a stronger thing if it ended where She-Hulk kind of suggests it should have ended. Um just kind of like a fun standalone like uh She-Hulk dating flirty with Daredevil. Like it coasts purely on the on the power of its stars, but um mm-hmm. I I don't think anything will uh, like outclass episode 4 for me. Uh, uh, if if yeah. if only for the supporting cast of that episode but um mm-hmm. uh, i did have a good time with this and uh i think that a lot of that has to do with daredevil i i must admit i i am a sucker for the daredevil appearance and you got me marvel you 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 got, you got me to stick around for eight episodes for <laughs> daredevil um,
2: and look no I, I agree like i'm i'm a i'm a she-hulk fan when it comes to the comics we, you know this we've been talking about comics that we've read um and conceptually I like a lot about the show but um it's kind of unfortunate that the best episodes are the ones where she is overshadowed by someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but as she keeps saying it's her show. <laughs>
1: And since it's our show, that'll do it for us today on Decoding TV, covering She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 8. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find more of, uh, more episodes of this podcast, go to podcast.decodingtv.com, where we're also covering Andor and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, two shows that I think are really fabulous. I'm enjoying them a lot. Uh, and if you're enjoying them, you should go check out uh, David's coverage with his various co-hosts, uh, of, of those shows. Um, you can email us at decoding TV at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if you, if you email us, your like fanfic of, uh, daredevil and Charlie Cox, I'll send that over to my wife. I'm sure she would enjoy that. Um, so please, please send us that, your slash fic. And uh, if you want to support the podcast, go to DecodingTV.com and become a paid member. We'd really appreciate it. It is, as we said last time, how Sedant and I get to be a part of this platform. But next week, David Chen will be returning for the She-Hulk finale. Maybe David Chen is the uh, Hulk king. Uh, tune in to find out. <laughs> I do hope to return in the future, maybe even for the finale. But until then, I'm Dan Gavazdan, and that's Sidant Adlaka for Decoding TV, and we'll see you later.